we welcome you. Uh, everybody, we welcome uh, kids. We're glad that you're all here. We can deal with, uh, with your chaos, both the adults and kids. Chaos, we're, we're comfortable with that. So uh, that's true just if you're uh, watching uh, online. Um, we, can, we can deal with a, a little mess. We're, um, we're able to do that as the body of Christ, living life together and all of the things that are uh, beautiful and difficult and messy and exciting. So uh, we are... Uh, there we go. Uh, yeah, if you're, if you're uh, streaming, uh, there were just the loud sirens from across the street, right across the street from the fire station. Um, we find ourselves here in uh, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 2. We've been uh, in Ecclesiastes for a few weeks now. And uh, if you'll remember, the preacher, uh, the one who is speaking here, the, uh, the koaleth or preacher is... Uh, is either Solomon or a Solomon-like character speaking to uh, the pursuit of meaning in life, gain, really. If we go back to uh, the first week in chapter 1, verse 2, what gain is there in my toil, all the toil under the sun? Uh, this idea of uh, gain being something that, that is lasting, is fulfilling, is satisfying. And, and what he finds is that it's all vanity. Uh, some versions translate it meaningless. The Hebrew word there is hebel. It is, uh, it is a, a breath, a vapor, a mist. It is incredibly temporary. It doesn't last. That it ends in death. That, that death uh, comes for every one of us. And, and that in light of that, he seeks meaning. He seeks gain and fulfillment. And so last week we looked at wisdom. And we would think as, as Christians, you know, there are books in the Bible called wisdom books. That, that that would be something that we would seek gain in. He says it's vanity. It's vanity. It's vanity when it is sought as that fulfillment and gain. But we also saw that it is good in light of who God is and, and ultimately trusting in him and seeking him for gain. So here we find other ways, another way that we might seek meaning as human beings. And it is pleasure. How do we find happiness uh, here? This week we watched the movie... Uh, as a family, we watched the movie Nomadland, and uh, I, I feel fairly confident that I'm not going to give anything away. Uh, it's a very interesting movie. I don't feel like there's anything to give away, um, but it is a, about a, a character, a woman named Fern, played by Frances McDormand, who lives in a van, and she's a nomad, uh, and, and it turns out that there's a whole community of nomads, and she joins with them for this gathering in the desert over the course of a few days, and the guy who leads this gathering Turns out we learned afterwards is an actual nomad who lives out of his van. They all show up in their vans or small campers and, uh, and they sing songs and share uh, stories and um, eat together. And, and he's talking at one point about the fact that they're there for a reason. They're there because uh, of the uh, crumbling structures around them is the way that they see it. That there's the tyranny of the dollar, or the tyranny of the market that is this yoke that we put on. And, and, and I was struck by, yes, I, I feel that same thing. And, uh, and, and then there's this tension of, of what it looks like to seek fulfillment or happiness for them. They do it by becoming nomads. And then we find that tension play out in Fern and her relationship with her sister and her husband and living what we might think of as a more typical life is just in real estate and uh, and then there's tension with uh, a fellow nomad. She's in a relationship with him. They have a great friendship. They really like each other. And then he moves in with family and lives under a roof. And that's like 
this whole, can, can, they, can they be friends and can they uh, even be together if, if he is living that life and she's living the nomadic life? And there, is, there are these competing claims for what brings fulfillment and happiness. And those are all around us, right? We're all trying to find that fulfillment and happiness and gain in life. And one of the ways in which the preacher seeks it is through pleasure. And we're going to see that there are uh, what he addresses as the gain of pleasure, or actually, uh, because the way that we understand gain, that that is actually a failure. We'll look at the gain of pleasure and then the gift of pleasure. Uh, let me pray for us and we'll take a look. Lord, we, we pray that as we dive into Ecclesiastes chapter 2, that, uh, that you would fill our hearts and minds with the truth of your word, that you would make us more like Jesus, that you would reveal to us where real and true gain is, and that you would allow us to see pleasure rightly. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the gain of pleasure... What does he say about it? He starts off, he, he gives us the conclusion. He doesn't build up an argument uh, to get to his conclusion. He starts off with his conclusion. He's actually already done it in chapter one, but he does it again here in verse one of chapter two. I said in my heart, come, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. It was fleeting. It was a vapor. It was a breath. It, it does not bring gain is what he's saying. And he, he goes about it in in multiple ways. I think it's helpful to note that sometimes as we think about the gain that might come from pleasure, it's often, you know, if, if I could do this particular thing, it's, also, it's often if I could have that. Like, we, we, I look around the room and we're, we're probably not unrestrained in our ability to, to seek pleasure. I, I, I think about, you know, the fact that different things come to everybody's mind as they think about what would really be fulfilling uh, in life. And uh, one of the things that I, I think uh, about I would love to do um, is I would spend a lot more time uh, on the ski slopes. Um, and uh, I feel like I would find a lot of pleasure in that. It's one of my favorite things to do, right? But I have restraints there because it's incredibly expensive to get there and buy lift tickets and all the whole, the whole process is really, so there are restraints. It's not something that I can pursue. Um, and, and there are all kinds of things that might fall on this list that we're gonna look at that we're restrained from actually pursuing, right? Here, the preacher is not constrained at all. He has all the resources, uh, he has all the ability and power and wisdom uh, to pursue anything that he wants to. Uh, he doesn't have to uh, draw any barriers. So he, he, he speaks as one with experience. Uh, one of uh, you guys, uh, early on in Ecclesiastes, sent me uh, this quote from... Uh, renowned philosopher Jim Carrey. I think he's actually uh, gives some wisdom here for sure. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. This is uh, somebody who's experienced a lot of things that oftentimes we just dream of being able to experience, right? And this is a common story. You talk to people who have achieved all they ever wanted to, and they get to the top, and we could give all kinds of quotes. There's the Madonna one and Tom Brady and, you know, all these different folks who have achieved and, and found uh, what they sought wanting. And here we have the preacher who is actually able to uh, get everything that he dreamed of, 
and finds it wanting, finds it vanity. And, and there's some different ways in which he pursued it. I think it's helpful to note one of these we'll get to is, uh, is sex, but pleasure, sometimes we hear that word and that's where uh, we, we think that's, in the, when we talk in biblical terms, that's what we're talking about. It's, it's all kinds of ways in which we pursue it. The first, actually in verse 2, is laughter. He, he says uh, in verse 2, I said of laughter, it's mad. But he sought it. It was something that he pursued. We know there's value in humor. There's value in laughter, right? Laughter is the best medicine, they say. But we also know that even as it's really helpful to help us deal with broken and messy situations, it doesn't fix those situations. We can laugh a lot. We can have good humor. But there are times when we need to be able to sit in mourning. We need to be able to sit in sadness. We need to be able to sit in the mess. This is something that I feel like I've uh, had to learn uh, and continue to learn over years. Is I, I remember the first time I was really pushed on it or challenged uh, as a summer after my freshman year, sitting with a group of guys uh, doing Bible study together, and we were talking and encouraging one another. Uh, here are things that, you know, we were holding each other accountable. And the thing that they brought to me was uh, too often you're not able to talk about serious things. You just make jokes. And, uh, and you cover over uncomfortable things uh, with jokes. It's not healthy. It's not good, right? Uh, and, and that's often a coping mechanism, right? But it doesn't fix the broken things. I, I hope that I believe that I've grown a, a good bit in my ability to talk about serious things. Um, Laughter is beautiful, but it doesn't fix what is broken. The next thing that he mentions in verse 3 is alcohol. He says um, in in verse 3, I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart's still guiding me with wisdom. This might be one that we just uh, quickly go to. Okay, we can see the destructive nature of alcohol uh, because most of us know somebody who, who has had their life or family, or career destroyed by alcoholism. It, it quickly gets to, to that point, right? We see it as, as problematic. Um, and and we, we need not assume that the preacher uh, did everything in healthy ways, right? We, we can already know, coming up in this very passage, uh, that there is sin involved with both uh, slaves and uh, the way that he addresses uh, and deals with sex. It is not, he's not saying he, he's doing everything in a healthy way. So we, we don't necessarily need to assume that he's handling alcohol in a, in a healthy way. And we know the destruction of that. And uh, that it does not solve problems, that, that it often brings more problems. But we, we can also see that as he, he, as he mentions specifically that his heart still guides him with wisdom here. That, that maybe more likely what he's dealing with is he's seeking the finer things in life. So he knows fine wine. He knows the difference, um, you know, for us, it might be knowing the difference between uh, a wine that would come from, I looked this up, the Bordeaux region of France or the Burgundy region of France, right? He could taste it and know the difference. He would know the fine wine. He, he, would, he would have that, that rare bottle of Pappy Van Winkle bourbon, be able to taste the fine uh, things of life. And that, he says is, uh, leaves us wanting. It is vanity. It does not bring the answer. Even experiencing the fine things of life, even if it's done rightly and, and well, and, and there are all kinds of those things that we could list, that we would desire. They are not the answer, he says. Then we find, uh, it, it, lest we think of the, 
the pleasures that we might seek that would just automatically or quickly uh, easily be dismissed like uh, alcohol or sex. Um, we, we find he really value uh, life filled with valuable things. So art and nature. Look at verse four through six, really. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools which to water the forest of growing trees. So he, he, he has, he's creating something that, uh, that he experiences, and there does seem to be this uh, self-centered focus, and yet these things are going to be for others, and they're going to last even beyond him. And he says, even of those things, it's, it's, it's vanity. It's vanity. It doesn't bring that gain, that ultimate fulfillment in life. He goes on to money and possessions, verse 7 and 8. He has the slaves, he has herds and flocks, and and. We, we could say a lot uh, about this. We can get hung up on this issue. We're, we're, there's, there's no uh, here, there, there's no condoning of slavery at this moment. Uh, slavery is wrong, even as slavery was very different in this time. We could spend a long time talking about that, but we could also talk about it, that uh, slavery is wrong. This is sin. But the point we find here is that uh, he has everything he needs, all the wealth and possessions, all the power that, that we could ever imagine. Again, he's not restrained by anything, and it is vanity as well. Then, um, then we find entertainment. He, he mentions it as, as music, verse 8. I got singers, both men and women. And, and that was the entertainment to be had at that time, right? And, and maybe music is the thing for us that we seek to find uh, hope, find fulfillment in. But there are all kinds of entertainments that are available to us now. Most of the time we don't just think about, we, we just settle into uh, watching movies, playing video games, and that becomes the thing that occupies our, our life. And it is not satisfying. Sometimes we recognize that, but sometimes we don't really think about it or we push it to the side. I mean, I think about if you, if you have ever had a, a moment where you find yourself um, 30 minutes, an hour, into a scroll through Facebook or Instagram. Uh, you, know, you just keep wanting to go. At the end of that time, you, you're not satisfied. In fact, you often feel like, oh my goodness, I just wasted a bunch of my time. And that's actually what he's saying about all of these things, is that they are, are vanity. Whether we recognize it in the moment or not. And part of the problem is the law of diminishing returns that whatever one of these that we pursue, we always want or need more to find happiness. To, to have whatever gain we think we might be able to have. The, the um, next one that he mentions is sex, verse 8. He has uh, concubines and the delight of the, the sons of man. There's this clear picture of he is just uh, opening himself up to uh, seek all the pleasures that he would want. And, uh, and there's a challenge here to us in our culture that, that puts so much value on sex that says for us to be really fulfilled human beings that we should be able to live out whatever our particular desires are and that we would even find identity in this place. And then sometimes as a result, the church has responded in kind of jumping on board with that and saying, yes, but it has to happen in the biblical way of marriage between a man and a woman. But if you do it right, then you're going to find real fulfillment in this place. 
And what he's saying is it's, it's vanity, however we pursue it. This is not the thing that brings us hope or gain in our lives. It won't fix what is broken. None of these things will. And he goes on. Affirmation in verse 9, he became great and surpassed. Uh, we're going to look at work uh, more specifically next week, but he talks about that in verse 11. But none of it, none of it is ever enough. The result is vanity. It's the same as wisdom. It's the same as the other things that he pursues that we'll talk about as we go along, that it does not bring ultimate gain, that if we live life backwards, as I talked about last week, we live it backwards from death, that death comes for us all, and we have to see light, life in light of that. And so every one of these things fails in death. There is a, an ama- a song that I, I'm a, I love Johnny Cash, and his music is great, uh, and he redoes a Nine Inch Nails song called Hurt. And I encourage you, if you can find the video, uh, it's a powerful video. Uh, it's Johnny Cash singing the song, and it, it's interspersed with clips of the House of Cash, which has a bunch of his awards and memories of his life and all of his successes. And then uh, it has him sitting at a table with this just elaborate feast prepared. He's like, uh, there's gold-trimmed uh, items around, and he, his hand is shaking uh, in, in his old age, and he's pouring out a glass of wine. And one of the lines is, and you can have it all, my empire of dirt, I will let you down, I will make you hurt. So you can have it all, all of this that I've gained, he's pouring it out, it's, it's, it's worthless, it's vanity. And as somebody who confessed Christ, at the end, he intersperses clips of, of Jesus on the cross with this recognition uh, that because he's a follower of Jesus, that there's actually then hope there. And not in all of his accomplishments. He's one that, that was much less restrained than many of us in what he could pursue uh, when it comes to pleasure. There's a challenge for us to, to recognize the places that we might seek pleasure and to turn from it. Now, to get to this point might be uh, what we would expect from a, a typical Christian sermon, you know, don't, don't be seeking after pleasure, right? That's, that's not the answer. There's truth to that. But, but he goes beyond that. Sometimes uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes confuses us because in this passage in chapter 3, we find this idea of eat, drink, and find enjoyment in your toil. It always makes me think of just growing up with the Dave Matthews band song where he sings... Eat, drink, and be merry again and again. Uh, and, and this is a, a phrase that we hear a lot, and it's, it's constantly in Ecclesiastes. Wait, so the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying that, that, uh, that seeking pleasure is vanity, but then he goes on to say this is what we should pursue in some sense. I perceive that there's nothing better for them, verse 12 of Chapter 3, there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. Does that contradict what he's been telling us of the vanity of pleasure? It can be confusing. But what he's doing is he's seeing pleasure as a gift that is experienced in the light of who God is. Remember the context of all of Ecclesiastes we need. It's hard to read Ecclesiastes without understanding the whole thing. If we look at the end, 
chapter 12, verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Pleasure is good when it is seen as a gift. It is vanity. It is loss when it is sought as gain for life. Our, our confession as Presbyterians, we have a confession of faith and the, the, the catechism. The first question is, what is the chief end of man? What is our main purpose in life? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. There is pleasure to be had in light of who God is and his work in our lives. There's, there is an invitation to actually experience the, the mundane, sometimes, pleasures of life. And to celebrate that. And this is what we find is true of Jesus as well. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, Hebrews 12. So that, that joy and that pleasure might not always come in the ways that we would seek. But it does come. It is offered in Jesus. If anyone thirsts, they are to come to him, he says in John 7. He's come that we might have life and have it abundantly, John 10, 10. There, there is a theme consistently that because of who Jesus is, because of our hope in him, that we can experience the pleasure of life, eating, drinking. You know, we could talk about wine. Yes, we can, it can be quickly destructive, but it's also spoken of in Scripture as something good and beautiful for us. And, and, and true for all of these things that bring pleasure, if we seek them and understand them in the right way, if they're not the primary thing, if they're not the place that we're seeking to find gain, but to enjoy God and his blessings, that we might then experience the pleasures, the gifts of alcohol and sex and money and accomplishment and building and creating works of art and gardens and all of these things are things that we should celebrate and rejoice as we look to Jesus as the one who brings that ultimate pleasure and hope.